Hello and welcome to the Truth About Cars podcast brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Are plug-in hybrids the future? We're also discussing rusting Teslas and I review the brand new Ram 1500. It's all up next on the Truth About Cars podcast. But first, eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love have transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only exclusions apply. We've seen eBay, excuse me, we've seen EV sales slowing and hybrids seem so passe. So are plug-in hybrids the best option for most car shoppers? I'm joined by one of our usual guests, T-Tech contributor Chris Tun, to discuss. So Chris, you recently drove the new Toyota Prius Prime and I drove the new Toyota Prius uh, hybrid a few months ago. For those who don't know, the, the Prius is a regular hybrid, which means you can't uh, plug it in and the Prime is a plug-in hybrid. So we'll just we'll discuss the pros and cons of each vehicle in just a moment. Uh, Chris, I want to hear your thoughts first on the Prius Prime. Well, I think the Prius Prime is a great choice for a lot of drivers, at least in theory. Um, the idea is you can have, I'm trying to look, think of the numbers, 39 to 44 miles of range without using a drop of gasoline. Now, in reality... In colder weather, you're not going to get that that full range. In uh, you're just going to want to be able to run that engine periodically. But if you're using your car like a lot of people use their car, you may may not be able to or may not need to use a drop of gas Monday through Friday if you have a traditional commute of some sort, going to the work or going to the office. Monday through Friday, and then use your car on the weekends for longer drives. Um, and even if, you, if you're not doing that, if you're just commuting, if you just have a small, a short commute, 20, 30 miles per day, you could go. I've, I've heard reports of people going several months without refilling a Prius Prime or other plug-in hybrids like a RAV4 Prime. Um, it's, it's a great idea. Um, I do like a standard hybrid, certainly because there's a little bit less complexity there. But there's, you know, it's no longer a slow Prius. That's what I love about the Prius Prime. It's got 220 horsepower, which go back 30-something years, a Corvette had 225 horsepower. So that's that is a uh, it's a big step in technology over. I should say 40 years, 84. Goodness, it's 40 years now. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I'm glad you brought up the pros and cons of plug-in hybrids in general, not just the Prius Prime specifically, and also very glad that you mentioned the word complexity because I am with you on the idea of the plug-in hybrid technology on paper being better than a standard standard hybrid in the sense that you can plug in every day if your commute was short and use, use less fuel. But... Uh, a Consumer Reports story from a few months ago pointed out that plug-in hybrids can be a bit, at least in their research, unreliable. So they compared hybrids against gasoline cars as well as plug-in hybrids against gasoline cars in terms of 
reliability. And they found that hybrids had 26% fewer problems than gas vehicles. Electric vehicles, so pure battery EVs with no gas engine, had 79 more percent problems than gas vehicles. And plug-in hybrids had 146% more problems than gas vehicles. And I would assume that complexity has uh, plays a huge role in that. Um, I would also think that the technology being relatively new, especially for EVs, plays a part as well. And I would imagine as automakers get better at building these vehicles and knowing how to fix them. I don't know if you'd have the same take. And I don't know if that puts a damper on your enthusiasm for the Prius Prime. <laughs> Not necessarily for the Prius Prime, but for the majority of plug-in hybrids, I can see I can see problems. Uh, one that the Consumer Reports article from, I think it was November, mentions is the uh, Chrysler Pacifica, which has been available as a standard V6 engine and then has a plug-in hybrid. And I... God knows I love a minivan. Uh, if I if my kids were younger, I would probably have a, a plug-in Pacifica. Um, th- the Pacifica plug-in and the Jeep Wrangler 4xe have to be two of the most common, most popular plug-in hybrids on the road. But unfortunately, um, Chrysler, Stellantis, Jeep, whatever it's called this week does not have the track record for reliability. So it may not be down to plug-in hybrids aren't reliable. It's just maybe a situation that the company that's making the most of them isn't as reputable for long-term reliability as, say, a Toyota or Honda or Hyundai Kia uh, who have not been selling nearly as many plug-in hybrids as uh, Jeep, for example. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And and then, you know, it's one thing to have that enthusiasm for the, hey, this car is great off the start, but but is it something that would give you pause as a buyer, the reliability issues? Yeah, certainly. If if I'm shopping for a new vehicle, there that's always a consideration. And... I believe most, maybe not most, a good number of new car shoppers are going to be checking out something like Consumer Reports for reliability, or at least basing their buying decision on their um, expectation of reliability out of the vehicle. And their by their purchasing decision will be colored by the research that they do and by past performance of similar vehicles from whatever automaker it is. So yes, obviously my, you know, my comment a a moment ago about Chrysler products, not necessarily being nearly as reliable as others. That is anecdotal. Certainly that it's based on my experience and experience of people that I know it's not necessarily empirical data. But there, yeah, that is going to go into a buyer's decision as to what they buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, so you drove the Prius Prime. I drove the regular hybrid. Now, I personally, like I said a few minutes ago, I think the, the plug-in technology is very interesting in terms of saving fuel and and uh, making life a little easier on your wallet over the over the course of the ownership of the vehicle. But driving the Prius, just the regular hybrid itself was also illuminating. So 
my overall takeaway was that the I never really loved driving the previous Priuses. I always thought they were there for fuel for fuel savings, and also there were times that you could get into a new Prius relatively inexpensively. So they were there as fuel sippers for people who also just didn't have a ton of money to spend on a new car, and they didn't do much else. They they saved fuel really well. They were not particularly interesting to drive. They had weird interior design. They were a little uncomfortable. Didn't carry a lot of human or passenger cargo. The new Prius looks cooler with the exterior design and that applies to the prime as well. And then the interior is still a little funky, but it's a little more user-friendly. Um, driving dynamics were so much better though. The a little under 200 horsepower in the one that I drove with front wheel drive. And it was, you know, it was peppy on the highway. It actually handled like it had some sort of connection to the roadway. Whereas the former Prius just didn't handle very well. This one actually handled fairly well. It was not sporty in any stretch of the imagination, but it was I mean, it was definitely like if you're going to an on-ramp and hit it kind of hard, you could have a little bit of fun with it. And uh, even for, I drove that particular vehicle to Detroit and back, and I'm, other than some extreme tire and, and highway and wind noise at 65 plus, between 65 and 80 miles an hour, which in Michigan is slow, <laughs> you're typically doing between 70 and 80 miles per hour at I-94 and that's that's not that's like the average speed. So at that at that speed, you know, and there were some some sections of pavement that also made the tires sing a little bit. But there was so there's definitely noise vibration and harshness at highway speeds. But you're not going to see that driving to work in, in an urban or suburban environment for the most part. So that you know that was the car's biggest flaw. Uh, and I saw I have a heavy foot and I was driving a little aggressively, so I probably didn't get close to the EPA fuel economy numbers, which is like in the low fifties, I think it's 52 all across the board, highway city and combined. I was around, I don't have the math in front of me, but I was around mid forties, around 44 or 45. And again, it's a a trip from Chicago to Detroit. So there was some around town driving in both Chicago and Detroit that would bring the number down city stop and go, but also a lot of highway, a lot of highway and a lot of highway speed. And there was, even on the highway, there was some stop and go. I do recall being caught in a traffic jam for road construction that slowed me down, but so real world numbers are not going to not going to quite match EPA unless you have a really light foot. But I think the the new Prius, uh, the quote unquote regular Prius, is much better than the outgoing model. Much much better. So Chris, as we wrap up the segment on Toyota Prius and Prius Prime, I need to ask you. I know you've already touched on this a little bit, but do you believe that plug-in hybrids are the future and are the best option for car shoppers? I think they can be the future for a lot of shoppers, at least as a transitional vehicle towards a EV or hydrogen or nuclear reactor, turbine, whatever future. Uh, it's a great choice for most drivers uh, if, if they can't manage or they don't want to deal with a full EV. A plug-in hybrid is a great transitional step for most drivers. I would agree with that. I would agree with that, especially in terms of transitioning to full EVs. I think plug-in hybrids are a great step because you can still plug the vehicle in and learn how that works without worrying about running out of gas. Now, that being said, I do have some concerns about the reliability issues that Consumer Reports found back in November. Uh, On the other hand, as Consumer Reports remarked in the article, in fact, it was a former guest of ours, Jake Fisher, who remarked in the article, that uh, it, it is not surprising to see that there are some bugs with new technology, just growing pains. 
Uh, I should also note, we, we kind of skimmed over this before, but I should also note that most of the common problems the EV owners were reporting had to do with the motors, the charging uh, on the vehicle end, not, not chargers themselves, and then EV batteries. So with plug-in hybrids, you know, that's, those, will still, those things will still be an issue to an extent, but you, at least you have, um, you know, you, don't, you, you still have the uh, uh, obviously still working on having hybrid setups is a little bit different. But uh, so I do, have some, I do have some pause over the reliability issues. But that being said, you know, I do think, like, like you said, P, P, PHEVs are a good transition to electric vehicles. And I also think on paper, if saving fuel is your priority, it's a good way to go because unlike a regular hybrid, but you're sort of at the mercy of the, of the powertrain, you can plug your, pardon the phrasing, but you can plug your plug in uh, whenever you need to or whenever you want to, as long as you find a charger that's working, of course, which is a topic we've hammered before. And we're going to take a quick break from the T-Tech podcast to talk to Matthew Guy about some stuff that he uses in his driveway, just so you know that we don't just review products off Amazon, we actually use them ourselves. Here in the Truth About Cars podcast, we like to talk about the products that we actually use to keep our rides running and looking clean, or I should say running well and looking clean. Well, running well might be a stretch. But anyway, we're here to talk with Matthew Guy today about car wash soap. So Matthew, can you talk to us a little bit about what car wash soap you use and and, and why you use it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm of the absolute firm conviction that a clean car runs better. (laughs) (laughs) even though i know that's not true but it sure does feel like it sometimes and we thought we'd talk about car wash soap just to build on um it was in a different episode we we talked about the foam cannons and um i've got some experience with those so i try to pair the soap that i use with the soap cannon uh with the foam cannon i guess would be a better term for it um the one that i mostly use is called mr pink uh, that's from uh, a line of, of products that is pretty popular. And I know that I'm drinking a little bit of the marketing there. Also because the stuff smells pretty good. <laughs> but it comes from a brand called Chemical Guys. And I found that you can find these suds pretty much anywhere at most major retailers. And you can also find it on their own website as well. And it comes in a variety of different sizes. Um, you know, something that's around 16 fluid ounces, that's pretty affordable. You can usually get that for under 10 bucks. But you can also get much bigger quantities. But I like, if I'm trying to soap first, for the first time, I just like to try a little bit of it just to see if it works. Um, and I do find that it does. I've got a black Challenger, and I do find that it does help with the high gloss shine uh, on that car. And I've got, you know, other products on that as well that we'll talk about on another Um, episode perhaps but one of the cool things um that i like just about the chemical guys stuff in general and the mr pink in in particular is that it's allegedly ph balanced and gentle on the exterior automotive parts you know paint clear coat polished metals glass all that type of stuff so i don't worry about covering the challenger with this and then rinsing it off and having it just washed down to the end of the driveway Excellent. Is there are there any other brands that you prefer when you can't use the one that you when you can't use your preferred uh, Chemical Guys brand? Yeah, um, thinking about. I mean, I know that this is this is really going back into the uh, this is really going back to the memory banks. But there are some there were some things that I was using from Turtle Wax that were pretty good. Um, 
I do generally stick to the Chemical Guys stuff. And this is not an advertisement for Chemical Guys. They've never mm-hmm. sponsored us or anything like that. It's just the one to which I have gravitated. I've tried a couple of quote-unquote green options as well. I'm struggling to think of the name of them right now. Let me just do a quick search right here, you guys. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'll see if I can find it. Um, and while you're doing think... that, I will mention, as full disclosure, Chemical Guys has worked with T-Tech on giveaways before and has... Mm. We've had some other uh, commerce usage, commerce interactions with, with chemical guys, but they are not sponsoring this. So just so we're clear. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. Um, but the cool thing, um, I, w- I tried one of the green friendly. There was one from a company called Simple Green. And I've I heard of Simple Green, do, absolutely. Yeah, they, they're still on the go these days. This wasn't yesterday when I tried it. And allegedly the green, these quote unquote green ones, not just the color green, but environmentally friendly greens mm-hmm. um, aren't supposed to be as bad when they wash down to the end of the driveway and go down into the sewer system. Right. Okay. Now, okay. That's a little job. bit different, a little bit different where we live um, because we're all on, well, I suppose we're all on well on septic. So maybe it makes even more difference that you don't want chemicals leaching into your water supply. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely. Yeah. Not. Right. So, I do. I have read a lot, and perhaps it's time to try them again. That these "quote unquote" green options do a better job than they used to. Because at one, the very first time I tried it, this was like caveat twenty years ago. Tells you how old I am. Um, they didn't do much of a job at all. Right? It was just as well to use water. Um, but the simple green that I used was much better than that, and I've heard they've gotten much better again. So those would be my two choices right now. So I always ask, I always ask you this as we discuss products that we use. What the flip side of the products that you that you use? Are there any brands that you would avoid? Um, I don't try to go straight to the top of the price range. There are some other pricier ones out there. I mean, Chemical Guys is not the cheapest for sure, but I do trust their marketing, if lack of a better term, but also the results that I get on my car. So I do try to stay away from the really, really high priced ones. Um, just because mm-hmm. I don't feel that I get much of a return, you know, once I get up to that price level around chemical guys, um, I find that's about where the point of diminishing returns starts getting into play. So almost like <laughs> this is a strange analogy, but when you go to a restaurant, you always order the second cheapest bottle of wine, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> kind of the same, kind of the same thought process. And in general, um, it's good for our listeners to know, and a lot of them probably already do know, not to use soaps that are meant for, say, washing dishes or, you know, dish liquid and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, Absolutely. those type, yeah, those types of uh, those types of cleaners will harm your car's paint. If you've got a hoopty, all right, fine. But if you <laughs> better better nothing, right? Although I have yeah. had some cars that were definitely held together by the dirt. Oh, jeez. Right? Just so much rust, right? I mean, you're in Chicago. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And finally, let's say say a listener out there has just bought a new car for the first time or or has an old car they've just never bothered to really put up. Let's just say whoever's listening, for whatever reason, whether it's a new car or they just want to put more effort in, instead of using the car wash all the time, instead of going to the commercial car wash, they want to start washing their own car. Maybe that's their New Year's resolution once the weather gets better to wash their own vehicle in the driveway every Saturday and Sunday, as opposed to going to the quick wash, that's three bucks or whatever. What should the uninformed or, or new to this process shopper be looking for as they pick out a car wash soap? Well, look for something 
that is a major ish brand, you know, some of the off brand stuffs, um, whether it's a house brand at your local gas station or whatever, you know, some of those I'm not convinced have the same ingredients. Mm-hmm. And, but even more so than the soap itself that you choose, the method of washing your car is important. Some people use two different buckets. Um, mm-hmm. Whilst they have a rag or a sponge, um, if they're choosing to actually touch the car instead of using the foam mm-hmm. cannon, um, they'll use one bucket for rinsing the rag or the uh, sponge, and they'll use the other one, you know, to take up the soap and the hot water. So that way, the um, sediment that you take off of your car doesn't get introduced back into your clean water with which you're washing your car. So that's one way to right. do it. That's a cheaper way to do it because you've just got two plain buckets. Well, well this you is can a bad also... analogy. Well, I'm sorry, this may be a bad analogy, but it's almost like how it, in a, when you run your dishwasher, your dishwasher comes up with water, fills up with water, sprays all the dirt off the dishes and the pre-rinse, drains all that water, and then puts more water out for the soaping part. Kind of the same thing, but different, right? Yeah. Am I absolutely. on the same track there, or am, I, or am I being crazy? No, that's a great analogy, man, because otherwise you'd just be washing your dishes with dirty water. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, what so was the other process? The, I didn't mean to derail that that thought. No, not at all. I, I think that that's, um, that's a good, that's, a, that's the cheaper process, because you've just got two plain old buckets. Um, but you can also buy um, a, a bit of mesh. Um, I've seen these in plastic form and metal form and whatever that fits down into the bottom of a bucket. And that way, um, any sediment and dirt that the thought is will mm-hmm. settle down through that plastic or metal mesh where you can't reach it with your sponge as you go back up to wash the car again, right? As you wash the next panel. So I prefer the two buckets, you know, but if you've got, uh, if you've got the mesh system, that's kind of cool too. Big thing is not trying to introduce dirt back onto your car whilst you're washing it. Makes absolutely makes sense. It's been quite some time since I've hand washed a vehicle, uh, but we, what we used to do both when I worked at a dealership and on my own is probably the two bucket method where you, you know, one bucket has soap and water, uh, clean, clean soap, soap and clean water and the other bucket kind of, Dirty water, or you just hose the vehicle. You hose sometimes you hose the dirt off first, and then you dip your uh, usually a wash mitt is what we used to use. Usually a wash mitt into the soap and clean water, and just yeah. Then you soap it up, spray it off with your hose, and then use maybe um, some sort of chemical that'll keep it keep the drips from uh, spotting. Some anti-spot wash or spot-free wash. I've also used clay bars, although I think. Most of the time, you don't need to get that involved. I think unless you're there's there's certain certain situations, but otherwise, I don't think you need to do that. So, Matthew, I appreciate your time. Thank you again for walking us through your favorite car wash soap and what to look for if you're new to the world of doing your own car washes as opposed to paying someone else to do it. So, again, thank you for your time, Matthew, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, I appreciate it, Tim. We'll see you on the next one. And we're back in the T-Tech podcast. And just as a reminder, eBay Motors is our sponsor. And eBay Motors is here for the ride. Speaking of rides, let's take an extreme ride now. Uh, not not literally in a car, but as viewers. So we're going to talk just for a few seconds here about our favorite memories from the first races we attended as fans. So, Chris, you go ahead and start. Tell us what your first race you attended as a fan was in uh 
90 memories and, and wrap it up in around 90 seconds or so. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to go date myself certainly here. I would have been roughly four years old. This is the 1983 IndyCar or might have been Champ Car or Kart uh, racing series. I uh, came to mid-Ohio. Um, I would have been, like I said, four years old. And it was the Escort Radar Warning Receiver 200 after the Escort, uh, you know, the sponsor was the Escort company that did the uh, radar detectors. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And, oh, yeah. I um, I may have gone to races before that. This is the first one I remember. Again, I was four. And I had a local hero of mine, uh, Bobby Rahal, lived near me. And he won the uh, the pole position. But don't remember specifics, but he ended up losing the race to a young rookie named Teo Fabi, who also raced Formula One mm-hmm. and other series. Um, and I remember crying the whole way home. It was a good hour drive in what I'm guessing would have been my dad's uh, 280ZX at the time. And I cried the whole way home because my hero didn't win. (laughs) Yeah, sports will do it to you. Uh, As as, uh, a longtime White Sox and Chicago Bears fan, I will attest to that. So, yeah, so for my first, my my memory of our first race, when we we were prepping our conversation and taking notes the other day, I thought my first race was the, the 1994 or 1996 Brickyard 400 NASCAR race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which I believe Jeff Gordon won. Uh, I'm not 100% certain on the year. It was one of those two. And I uh, I know it was I was in high school. That much I know. As for, But the thing is, now that I think about it, I don't think that was actually my first race. I think I went to an IndyCar race with my father a few years before. My father was also the one who took me to the uh, NASCAR race. But I think he and I went to a race a few years earlier in um, Milwaukee at the Milwaukee Mile, which I believe is in West, is or was, I don't think it still exists anymore, was in West Dallas, Wisconsin. And then I also remember going to a few uh, a few races as a child at Santa Fe's Motor Speedway outside of Chicago. Those were not professional. Well, they were minor league races, I suppose, sprint cars and low-level racing. So I wouldn't say they weren't professional, but they definitely were not like NASCAR or IndyCar. And I also do remember going to IndyCar qualifying when I was about four or five years old. I do not think we actually attended the actual race, though. I will tell you that my big memory from from the NASCAR race, and I think this applies to all racing, but it's definitely stuck in my brain from from NASCAR is how loud and how fast the cars were. And they've probably gotten a little quieter since then, although not by much, But and they're probably a little faster now. But I just remember being struck by the speed and, and how amazing that was. So speaking of struck by speed, remember that if you're struck by anything – eBay Motors is here for the ride. Get you get you fixed up and going because with eBay Motors, your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber and not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only and exclusions apply. Okay, Chris, we're back on the T-Tech podcast, and I wanted to ask you about Tesla and the Cybertruck and whether it's rusting or those spots are just surface contamination. Well, I can't say that I'm a materials engineer, so it, it's it looks like it's a surface contamination or corrosion. Interestingly, um, 
a former TTAC contributor, Alex Dykes of Alex on Auto's Auto Buyer Guide, put out an article on his uh, website about a week or two ago because his husband has a engineering company or, a, or he co-owns a materials engineering company that he has an electron microscope. So he was able to take a look at some stainless materials. Obviously, you can't stick a Tesla Cybertruck underneath uh, his electron microscope, but he took a stainless steel knife and was able to take a, a better look at the um, the corrosion, little pits of corrosion on the knife and you know, try to extrapolate what it does, what is happening with a uh, with a Cybertruck. And it's just, it's a natural thing. It's not going to rust away like so many uh, British and Japanese cars that I've worked on over the years that mm-hmm. have just absolutely fallen apart. Certain um, 80s American cars as well. Certain 80s American cars, I can, oh. Not that I yeah. know from experience or anything. <laughs> not at all. Um but it's just going to be some unsightly little pits that can be polished out. Um, I guess it's, it's inherent in stainless steel that it's not truly stainless. It's going to have little bits of yuck <laughs> all over yeah. the place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course he's, he's obviously very, very biased and, and paid to defend the Cybertruck, but the Cybertruck lead engineer actually went on, X slash Twitter. I still call it Twitter. I'm having a hard time transitioning to the new name, but, but he went <laughs> on, he went on to just defend, defend the truck and said, you know, stainless, I'm quoting him now. This is a direct quote. Stainless steel is reactive and free iron that sits on it will rust. It's surface contamination only and can be cleaned off easily. End quote. Now that being said, uh, clean easily might be subjective. So a uh, one YouTuber speculated that, that window, or he didn't speculate, but he found in his testing that window cleaner was was not effective, but stainless steel cleaner was. So that's you know that adds an extra layer of hassle to owning the truck in terms of keeping it clean. I don't know about you, but I would rather deal with easily cleaned surface corruption corrosion than than actual rust. Or maybe corrosion was the wrong choice of words there, but um, contamination is what I should say, surface contamination. But that being said, you know either way. Even the extra hassle of just putting extra cleaning effort into it is on, on an expensive truck like that is uh, a bit of a bummer, to say the least. It's definitely disappointing. Absolutely. So we can chalk, we can add that to the list of things that Elon Musk has done that has disappointed us. <laughs> All right. So with that, speaking of trucks, we're going to talk about a truck of a different feather, a little more old school, a little more legacy. So about a week or so, or a week or so ago, I found myself in Austin, Texas, uh, driving the new 2025 Ram 1500 in and about Austin, Texas, I should say, because a lot of the drive was in, in Texas Hill Country, and we went off roading, which is something you certainly cannot do downtown Austin. So I had a chance to drive the Rebel and the Tungsten. For those who who don't know, we'll have a review. We will have a review of the truck on the site this week, but. For those who don't know, the Ram loses the Hemi. They don't have the Hemi V8 anymore. And now the the base 3.6 liter V6 remains available in certain trims. But for the most part, the big story here is the two new Hurricane engines. Both are twin turbo, three liter inline six cylinders. There's a standard output and a high output, uh, different versions. The high output comes up with over 500 horsepower. So it is not exactly a weakling. Um, and the 
standards around 420 or so. Let me double check the specs on that. These both these trucks are definitely they definitely both have more power than the outgoing Hemi, which is kind of funny as you're losing two cylinders, but you're gaining more power. So yeah, just to give you the exact numbers, just I have it in front of me now. Um, 540 horsepower and 521 pound-feet of torque from the high output twin turbo V6, or six, excuse me, inline six cylinder. I almost said V6. I know it's inline. And the standard three liter is at 420 and 469 pound-feet of torque. So again, a lot of power available here. Um, and it was noticeable on the road, especially in the top trim tungsten that we drove. Uh, you could spin the tires with an unladen bed from a stoplight quite easily. Uh, it didn't require a lot of effort, just a heavy right foot, right? So, um, and this is what Ram is offering just now. We hadn't, didn't have a chance to test it, but in the third quarter of this year, there's also going to be a Ram RHO, which I believe stands for Ram High, Ram High Output, which will add 20 more horsepower. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It'll, it'll still have the 540 horsepower Hurricane, but it'll be more of a performance truck. So we're looking forward to seeing that. But uh, before before we kind of get into the meat, meat of this thing, I, I wanted to say that we also had a chance to tow and off-road the vehicles. I did not have a chance to tow with either truck because time was just a little too limited, but I did have a chance to go off-road. So I will tell you my, my brief impressions in those of you who like to, to really dig into things can, of course, read our written review. Shameless bit of self-promotion there. But I will tell you that, like I said, the extra power was noticeable in both trucks. The standard output doesn't feel as frisky as the high output, unsurprisingly. But it was still, it still felt, from the seat of the pants, without instrumented testing, still felt quicker than the last Hemi Ram I drove. And both were quite, had plenty of power for urban and suburban driving. Um, both rode really smoothly, both trucks, although the second truck we drove was a Rebel, with, which was a little more off-road oriented and had off-road tires, so it lacked a little bit of smoothness, uh, but it was still not terrible, but it just wasn't quite as smooth as the tungsten that we drove. Uh, I also found the, um, the tr- there were some truck-like features in a negative way, though, in the, in the Ram, and a little bit of, little bit of lane wandering, some on-center wandering, a little bit, of, little bit of body roll and cornering, not that we were doing sports car type maneuvers in the corners. Not that, not that most of the corners are that difficult, but there was a little bit of, a little bit of that, you know, that you could definitely tell you're driving a truck, but for most truck buyers who are not going to drive them hard and who are either going to commute to work with an unladen bed or use them for some light duty work, whether hauling mulch or hauling, you know, home improvement projects or that sort of thing. Uh, I think the Rams are fine. They're really good. The interior is, improved over the previous generation the previous generation was already pretty nice but there are subtle, there are slight subtle improvements especially in the high-end tungsten which has unique uh, indigo and sea salt interior decoration or color scheme it also has a little bit bigger infotainment system so there is a lot to like about the new ram and chris i wanted to see if you had any thoughts or anything you wanted to ask well yeah i haven't driven it yet but i've been you know, following the press releases, and I'm looking forward to getting a chance to get behind the wheel at some point. Um, so you mentioned that the previous Ram, which this is a, if I'm not mistaken, strictly a refresh. Is that correct? So this 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 Ram, it's, it's a refresh with new engines, essentially. Okay, yeah. Um, the interior quality, the interior luxury features, things like that. I, I had always thought that the previous Ram... So 24 and prior was the nicest 
feeling interior, nicest interior comfort and features and uh, materials. So this is even improved upon that. Yeah, so it's it's not a huge noticeable difference uh, unless you're in the tungsten trim, which is definitely noticeable with with the suede wrapped headliner and. I, I don't like the press release language, but I don't know a better way to saying this. So it's diamond knurling on the and metal accents, that sort of thing. Um, the, the tungsten is noticeably nicer because it's it's just a premium interior. The other tr- the other trims that were available looked real similar, but just a slight bump up in quality. Okay, um, and and I'm sorry that you mentioned that the V6, the the old school three point six liter V six is still available in the work truck trim or whatever their, their work truck trim is. Am I correct there? Yeah. So it's available. Uh, I, I think in just the work truck and let me double check that. Yeah, it is. I want to say there's a bunch of different trims. So I'm kind of just digging through the materials here to make sure it's, <laughs> I got it right. I think it's just the work truck. I don't have that information in front of me, but that's fine. It is available if you want it. Yeah. Because otherwise, even the lower powered uh, twin turbo V or inline six, the hurricane at 420 horsepower is more powerful. If I'm reading correctly, than the, uh, the larger engine in the Chevy Silverado and GMC Sierra, which is are, are almost identical 420 horsepower in the 6.2 liter Silverado and GMC Sierra, the, 3.5 liter Ford EcoBoost in the F-150, I think, maxes out around, oh, I want to say 375, 375 horsepower. Tundra gets you, I think, 389 when you get your the, the twin-turbo V6 and the hybrid. And then the Titan, I think, has 400 horsepower, if that's still if anybody's still buying that. <laughs> so for, at 420 horsepower for the, let's just call it the standard, uh, inline six out of Ram that is pretty stout. And then when you step up to 540 something horsepower out of the high output, um, that's a beast of an engine. It sounds like. So did you, yeah, you said you were able to chirp the tires off, you know, off the line. Yeah. Uh, just in the, in the spirit of full transparency, my drive partner did that and I just watched along and enjoyed it. But, um, that is, is certainly something that tungsten can do. So, you're shifting. You're shifting the blame on the tire wear to someone else. Thank you, Tim. That's. that's I'm just being honest. Just being honest. <laughs> you know. And just to just to go back, I did track down the information. The 3.6 is still standard in the tradesman. And it, just as a reminder to anyone who's forgotten, it does have a mild hybrid, what, what Stellantis calls e-torque assist. So ah, that's right. But yeah, but yeah I would I would um, find, I found the the high output to be quite. It is a beast, and it's smooth. It's it's powerful and smooth, and you miss the V8 roar. That is that is true, but it's it's not a bad sounding engine because it is smooth. So, and like I said, the you won't go wrong with the standard output. It's it's is it as strong? No, but it's still fine. And I don't think you really need the high output unless you're a towing uh, person. You do lose a little bit of towing capacity over the previous year, although not a ton, but. Um, Again, unless you're actually towing, which for the high output gets you to 11,580 pounds, unless you're towing a lot, you probably don't need the high output. But, man, is it fun to have that sort of uh, 
have that sort of power right tap tap your right foot even in a heavy truck i can imagine i'd love to get behind the wheel yeah hopefully you will soon hopefully you will get the chance to do that soon the trucks are on sale very shortly except for the rho which will be uh not until the fall sounds good all right chris thanks for joining us today and just wanted to remind everyone that's listening that this is the Truth About Cars podcast. I'd like to thank Chris Tun for his time. We've talked about whether plug-in hybrids are the future or the best options for car shoppers. We've talked about rusting Tesla Cybertrucks. We've talked about, speaking of trucks, we've talked about the 2025 Ram 1500, which I just drove in Texas last week. And we also have had Matthew Guy on to talk about our favorite products that he uses. So I'd like to thank Chris for his time. I want to thank Matthew Guy for his time. I want to thank most of all eBay Motors for being our sponsor because eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles on a body full of rust to a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it with eBay Guaranteed Fit. It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride, ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only and exclusions apply. This is the Truth About Cars podcast. I'm Tim Healy, the managing editor for the Truth About Cars, and you can find us at ttech.com, ttac.com, or thetruthaboutcars.com. As always, thanks for listening.